Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name is Panos. Joined on Zoom, my co-host Luke Badman, and we have Alex Edwards from Refine Your Canine as a guest for the second time. Welcome back, brother. How are you? Yeah. Welcome back. How are we, fellas? Very, very good. I like it when people come back because then we don't have to do like the whole biographical thing, which is cool. It's fun, but I think this is just a bit, it's a bit more of a, you know, this is a bit more of a conversation. The boys are just catching up. Yeah. No, that's good. How's your day, brother? Uh, Busy, mate. Um, Full day of consults, private consults, uh, basically all dog aggression or people aggression today. So um, been an interesting day, but good day. So good results. Happy. And, and, And is that a typical day for you? Uh, yeah, I say a lot of aggression stuff um, and reactivity. Um, and then pet dog stuff, I get sport dogs, I get some detection dogs. I just finished up a three-day cognition seminar, um, which is a lot of fun. So, Are you running the seminar, you mean? Or? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Tell us about that. Yes. Uh, so I went over to the States to do my first leg of cognition through Cameron Ford's program. Um, and then I got my instructor last year. So um, I'm the only person here that's certified to teach. Oh, let me take that back now. Courtney's certified to teach as well, who works for me. Um, so basically it's a, a three day seminar. The first day is going through some theory and teaching warm up drills and we go through and test and assess how dogs learn. And then from there, once we've sort of done the first day, we'll go through the next two days and people bring dogs and we test them. Um, and you'll go through and see, you know, how good is this dog's memory? What's its memory like under distraction? Can I understand inference cues? Um, is it left and right handed? And then at the end of the seminar, you go through and you break down all this data you get on the dog and, um it's a seminar that's really about getting information it's not they're going to give you a cold hard answer about your dog but you're going to go through and get all this information and then once we've got it there's certain things i had a couple of girls from the border come down and her dog wasn't getting the the testing right in her eyes and i'm like there is no right wrong answer it's just information here and i could see it was deflating one of them a little bit and i said to her i've gone this is actually what i thought your dog would do and for what you want to do with your dog, this is a good answer because she wants to work in sport. And, you know, the when you're doing it, it's we kind of get caught up in this right-wrong mentality with a lot of things. And a lot of the time when we're working with dogs, we're getting information on them. It's not about a right and a wrong. This is where the dog's at. This is what it knows. This is what its strengths are. And then these are the things we can do to troubleshoot to help it get out of that. Or is this dog suitable or not suitable for all? Um, Cameron has a, a puppy cognition that I want to go learn next year. Um, and you, I think it's a five day one instead of a three, but you basically can go through and test and assess litters. And then it's going to give you a lot of data on the dog that you can go work with and kind of wipe dogs out, whether they're going to be suitable or not suitable for a role. From what age is that? Uh, I think the puppy... I think about 10 weeks is the gold mark to really go test and assess them, but I think they normally try to do it between seven to about 12 weeks. Okay. Um, and then with the cognition, so even like with these one, like all the dogs are over six months that we did it with, the you can go run the dogs back through the test, and it's not like the testing, it doesn't matter how many times you run through it, it's not really going to spin a different answer. The dog's going to kind of repeat in the same ballpark what they were doing. That's pretty cool. Um, and Brian Hare, who's part of Duke University that came up with the program, his dog's been tested thousands of times now with every group of students to go through, and it's still spinning exact same results. And, um, and you're talking and, about how, how dogs learn. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. And so what he, would be this? Uh, dog, 
So I, I'm not 100% sure for his dog, but the the dog will have the same sort of inference results, the same sort of memory results each time, regardless of the number of times you run through the testing. And then sometimes you'll get it where you get dogs that um, my little dog, Littlefoot, is a Chihuahua cross cattle dog. He's a weird little thing. Um, he only got one answer wrong in terms of like the testing, but it doesn't really tell you that that's a good thing for him. Hmm. So, you know, dogs with really strong memory, if you're doing scent work with them, you need to move their hides really often because otherwise the dogs will just go back into the same area looking for it. And then if you don't know that leading into it, they'll actually become a bit of a problem for you that you're kind of going to let these problems bleed into your training instead of trying to troubleshoot and get on top of them quicker because you already know that information about the dog. So it's pretty reflective from that 10-week mark, even to an adult, it would produce a similar or the same result, is that what you're saying? From what I'm gathering from the puppy one is that you kind of get a window, you get to go and play God a little bit and change the way the dog learns. So if you see that when they're really young that, you know, they've got a tendency to follow, you know, gestures and cues, then you can go from there and you can, you know, do a lot more free shaping, get the dog to be independent and be off you instead of having to follow you for all these social cues. So you get a little bit of a window, you can change how the dog's going to learn and what it's going to pay attention to. Um, I think I kind of do a lot of that anyway when I develop puppies. and, yeah, I, I just find it super interesting. And it's really a dog nerd seminar that you, if you don't like watching behaviour, it'll be a really long time. If you like watching behaviour, you'll definitely, you know, you watch every dog. And we had one dog that basically, every, I think, all but two pests, it went to its left-hand side. So it had a hmm. massive bias to going everything to the left and didn't really pay attention to the right to anything. Yeah. That's does, yeah so that, that's, does that mean anything, though, besides the fact that it... Yeah. Uh, well, if argument's sake in a scent detection kind of setting, that dog is going to want to run off to search the left of the room every time instead of heading off to the right or running and searching neutrally. And and for people um, that are listening, dogs can detect which direction a scent came from using their right or their left nostril. Is that true? Yeah, they can smell independently. Yeah. Time. So mm. um, so obviously, and look, and, and I'm for a little bit familiar with this because I've listened to um Cameron Ford on on the Canon Parrot. I'm going to a bit more depth about it, but there. So there's a few different, I guess we'll say, like natural inclinations that each dog has in terms of how they take in information from their world in terms of physical gestures. Is it verbal? Is it, is it scent? And like, and what they prefer. And if they're young, you can mold and change that. But it's a little bit harder when they're a bit older. That once it's there, it's set. Is that true? Yeah, it's it's interesting too. So, like one of the first exercises we go through, it's called a distract and point and cue. And you you start a seminar. Who thinks they know their dog? Everyone's like, yeah, I know my dog. I know exactly what he's going to do. And then you'll go show the dog a toy, a piece of food, whatever it happens to be. And you'll they'll see you put it under one tub, and then you'll walk backwards and you'll stand and look and point at another tub. And so many of the dogs run to where you're gesturing and cueing them instead of where they saw you put the reinforcer. So it, it is a very interesting seminar that people go in going, I know exactly what my dog's going to do. And some people get 100% that answer. And then on the other side, everyone's like, I never thought my dog was going to do that. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, is, there, is there more of a percentage of dogs that follow the gestures than have a memory that you put it under the, the cone? Uh, from purebred dogs have higher memory and mixed breed dogs watch more inference. They pay more attention to your social cues off the wow, top of my head. That's an interesting um, finding. Pure yeah, so th- there's, a, 
they've got now thousands of dogs that have got data on doing this stuff and it will spin some weird things in amongst that data. So German Shepherds don't rank in the top 10 for inference mm. or for memory out of any breed and you'd think that they'd be in there. Yeah. You know, I can so see it, it, they're a little bit klutzy. I can, I can kind of see a little bit of that. <laughs> Compared to like shepherd you know, people coming after you now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. What were like the top three? Do you remember? Uh, so they depend on each one in terms of like the – there's a series of tests. So every dog will spin different things in amongst it all. Um, pit bulls have the highest memory out of any breed of dog from all their testing, which is hmm. a surprising one. Uh, and the breed of dog that pays the most attention to any inference is Bernese Mountain Dogs. Well, okay. That is very so, interesting. So, you know, who sees those sort of things coming with it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, that and that data might have changed since the last lot because they're forever updating their database with it and getting more and more information. How does that sort of testing affect pet dog behavioural um, modification stuff and do you run those tests with those dogs? Uh, yeah, dog so you can, you can do it with pet dogs. It's going to give you – it's really – geared toward more like working role kind of things um but it is helpful to know what your dog really knows in those situations as well so you know is your dog really just watching what you tell them um i find i constantly going through a pet dog owners that what they think their dog knows and what the dog really knows are very different things yeah they're things that have generally bled through from like a puppy school or something where the dog is only watching hand cues and the dog has no idea what the word sit means the dog has no idea what the word, you know, place means to the dog. They depend on you walking there and pointing to understand the message. Now, I obviously know that I'm going to throw this at you and say, yes, but we have to train, you know, and you know what I'm going to say, you know, mm-hmm. being clear about your verbal cues and, you know, not um, mixing them up and overshadowing them with, with gestures. But you're saying that there's a genetic component to it or like, you know, from that individual dog that he that he's like, no, no, no. I'm a gesture dog, not a like an like an audio dog. Um, yeah, but but from knowing that information about how you work dogs, how much of it do you change, or you just work towards the dog's strengths, or do you be like, no, I actually prefer this in this dog, so now we're going to work more towards that to to um change their behavior and habits. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on what the owner's long term goals are with their dogs. Um, if I have a dog that is a pet dog and the idea is the dog's pretty chilled, you know, you might not really care too much about hand signals. Um, uh, Francis Metcalf, I don't know if you know who he is. Um, he runs the canine circus school in Oakland. Um, he's a really good dude. Francis, I've been there multiple times and he kind of thinks that, you know, hand signals don't matter too much. You know, he kind of makes it a part of his performance with the dogs and, you know, for most pet people, they're never going to care whatsoever. If their dog doesn't understand the word sit, if they follow the hand gesture, they're cool about it. I agree. If the dog does it, yeah. they don't really care. Yeah. If I'm in a situation with my dogs, and this is regardless of the dog, whether I'm trialing with the dog or they're just like, you know, my pet or whatever, I want to know my dog can listen to me and not have to follow a cue and do obedience where I ask for it. I agree. Um, one of the things I like to do with my dogs more than anything is just go hiking and kind of disappear and my dogs are off lead everywhere we go and we run into all sorts of things, whether um, deer, kangaroos. Uh, we were out about two weeks ago and there was a kidna that crossed across a path in front of us. My dogs are about 20 metres in front of me. I told them to drop. They all hit the drop when I asked for it. Kidna Perfect. passes through. I don't want my dogs going after the echidna. Mm-hmm. You do it then and there. You're not dependent on me pointing at the ground at my feet where you have no idea what I'm talking about. Agreed. So for the stuff we kind of do day in, day out, to me, have my dogs on an audio cue is super important for that stuff. 
Um, but, you know, if that's something you never do, then it's not really something that's ever going to matter to you. Well, pet dog, like, the only exception would be the recall. Like, I think that dog mm. needs to know the word come because when you're calling them to come, they aren't in front of you looking at your gestures. But, um, yeah. okay, cool. That's very interesting. So, so with the, um, the scent work and the cognition stuff, you start off by learning how to test the dogs. What, what, what other things, like in, in a nutshell, um, were, were, you, were you teaching? Yeah, so you basically want to go through and see whether the dog can understand the difference between pictures. Are they watching your body language? They, are they really dependent on their memory? Then when we test memory, we're testing another 20 seconds and 40 seconds, and you'll get dogs that have a really good memory that's short-term or long-term. And then from there, you'll also have it where you test memory but with distractions. So now you're picking up the dog, you're spinning around, you're grabbing its head, you, and you get some dogs that test really poorly on the memory but introduce distraction, and they spin something completely different at you. Yeah, wow. That's really cool. Yeah, so you said like, pit, it's pit a dog seminar, mate. You said pit bulls were number one on memory? Yes. What was behind them? Do you remember? Uh, no, I'd have to go through all my notes for it. Sorry. Uh, There's so much information with it all. It's forever changing. Mm. Um, so you wouldn't be a pit bull then, just based on that little memory <laughs> test? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> You're a husky man. about that. What breed would you be? <laughs> and it, with breeds, you know, it's not just because you have a breed, it doesn't mean that they're all going to be the same. Mm. You know, you can have a litter of Kelpies and half of them are the best herding dogs in the world and the other ones just have no drive or interest in chasing around sheep all day. Yep, so true. Well, yeah. talking about breeds, the the um, I want to get you on regardless. I always love having a chat with you. But something that I wanted to introduce onto the show was um, you know, going into a bit of a breed analysis about you know many different breeds and and having people on that have more of an experience and and understanding. So um, so so today will be the first time that we talk about um a breed characteristic um episode and and i hope that we do a lot more as well so anyone that's listening if you if there's a breed that you specifically want to dive a little bit more deeper on and understanding you know the background and and the uses of them and and how to live with them then yeah let us know but um tell us the um so you said um when when i was like hey come on it's like what do you want to talk about and it's like you can talk about huskies for an hour i'm like cool let's talk about huskies <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to talk about huskies and i'm going to butcher the name of the Sarapalanic and it's yeah, okay, cool. Exactly. I knew I was going to butcher that. Um, but I want to talk about the Husky first and mm-hmm. and, and I've got a few questions for you, but I, I want you to kind of like tell us a little bit like why do you love Huskies and what is it about Huskies and and then and then we'll also talk about the um the mountain dog as well. So um yeah. <laughs> the, um, I'm not saying that I'm not even gonna attempt to try to say the breed's name. <laughs> the uh, so I've had quite a few different breeds of dogs. I've had huskies pretty much my whole life though. Um I think Coda's number five um, that I've had. So I've had them for over 30 years now. I just love their personality. They suit me to the T. They're a bit of a smart ass. If you can't laugh things off, they're not a breed for you. You have to be able to laugh at things and, and not take things too seriously. Um, I like the sass about them. I think they are way more switched on than people probably think they are. Uh, all the stereotype things out there, you can't have them off lead, you can't do this, you're untrainable. Everyone I've ever owned is off lead. It's about creating that relationship with the dog, the bond, the rapport. And I think also a lot of people kind of think their dogs are already trained when they get them. You know, dogs are horrible at generalizing. You have to do repetition. It doesn't matter where you go, what you're trying to achieve. Just because they can sit in your living room doesn't mean that they're able to sit in, you know, when you go to the park. 
I do so much work with my dogs when they're young about engagement and recalls that I kind of want to bore them with the world and they think that I'm the number one thing no matter where I go. And once you get that that glue and the rapport in a relationship, things are very easy. Uh, I've owned a lot of livestock. My dogs can live around the livestock without being an issue. I've got two Highland cows at the moment. They, my dogs can cruise around them. It is easy. It's not something I have to worry too much about. Um, but in saying that, all my Huskies have had extremely different personalities. You learn what makes each of those dogs tick. Uh, some of them, uh, tips the dog my logo is based on and Shadow, my old boy that I lost last year, were naturally very compliant dogs. Uh, their whole life, they really want to work with you and do things with you. Um, my first one, Phantom, when I was a kid, he was a very independent dog and he would rather be outside than inside with the family. Uh, Coda is a, very independent, bratty, sassy little thing, um, but she's hilarious. And we we kind of know how to make each other tick. And we have these weird little games we play with each other. It's our thing. Um, and then I had another dog, Storm, that I got when I got her. She was dangerous, like she never should have been home to me. Um, she had a lot of things that were sort of not there, but it, it took me six months to get her a poor relationship with that dog to the point that we could pretty much do anything after that. The... <clears throat> They're very different in terms of the way that they tick. They like to goof around and stuff, and that's why they kind of suit me really well. Uh, I think I'll always own one. I don't see myself with ever not having a husky. I think this is the first time in probably 25 years I only own one. Um, but they're, Any they're plans very. For more? Sw- oh, yeah. <laughs> There's always plans. Um, How old is she now? Uh, Code is eight now. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, I was, I, my next dog I'm really toying up. It's like, do I go down the path of seeing what I can do with a husky? I, um, Coda wasn't mine as a puppy, so I didn't get to do her development stuff with her. Shadow was the last one I raised as a puppy, and that would be close to 16 years ago. So I want to see what I can do with one now as a pup. How far yeah. can I take it? Can I go down a path that no one's really walked before? Um, when Michael was here, Alice, the, um, we were sort of running off this analogy, you fuck around and you find out. And then the next dog, regardless of the breed, is going to kind of be a dog that's going down that path with it. That I'm going to try some different things. I want to spin some things. I want to basically do the opposite of what I did when I raised Titan as a puppy. Uh, his breed, the Chaplanets, are a livestock guardian dog. They can be a hell of a lot of dog. Uh, they're not ideal really as a pet. They are dogs that need to work, but depending on the genetics of the dog, whether they're workable or not workable, uh, he is... I think the best rep- representation of the breed I've seen in the country in terms of a dog that will guard, but I've also had to pick and choose some battles with him. I want a dog that can guard my property. I want a dog that I can work in a sport. Uh, as far as I know, he's the only SARP in the world to ever trial and compete in any form of dog sport. He's got a BH on him now, and his body's basically falling apart, so he's retired as of basically now, unless we're sort of going to goof in things that aren't going to be too strenuous. How old did um, you say he was? Uh, Titan six, but he's oh, he's had teeth pulled out, elbow dysplasia, two cruise ships done, two meniscus done. Like he's fallen apart. Even when he did his BH, he, he blew his meniscus out completely on the field, and he didn't care. Um, but they're generally dogs that are bred to have zero prey drive, very little food drive. They're not meant to be dogs that you can really motivate to go do things with. And um, I think you probably would have seen videos on them, stuff like that working. That dude just loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still guards everything, but you got to pick and choose your battle with what you're you want with him um and i want a dog that i can have friends come over and everyone's safe and everything's completely neutral like i actually think out of all my dogs he's probably the funniest dog that i own he's an absolute goof um 
so yeah, the, the livestock guardian dogs, I used to have a, another one, Echo. Um, she was a, a start cross Kangle. Uh, she was quite a big dog, uh, very different dogs. But I look at the way her development, I got her when she was about 11 months old and she never really grabbed the concepts of learning and she was a very different dog. She was a fun dog and she did her job, but she was never really a serious guard. Um, I, I, I want to get into the because I, I want to stick on the huskies for a little bit. I want to ask a few, okay. and then and then we'll get into them because I'm I'm fascinated. I've I've actually trained one last year from a puppy, and I made sure that yeah. we did. Maybe message me about yeah, it. We do have to. So I want to go through all of that, but with the husky, real yep. quickly. So, um, yes, I, I agree. Like you know, and I haven't owned one, but like I've trained a lot of them. Is that um, a lot of people say, oh, you don't train a husky. Huskies train you, and they're very stubborn. You know that they're like the wolf and blah blah. And like you know, there's like a. And I think yeah. because they look wolf-like in a way then i think that there's a bit more of like maybe that i don't know like the stigma towards um them being a little bit more wild but there is a you know they were developed to literally pull sleds sleep Uh outside with their pack essentially in the snow they're like sleep under the snow like it's like it's unreal to watch to see them sleeping outside it's crazy right um and you know they they had a whole their role wasn't really and again you can correct me if i'm wrong but in terms of their work, their work wasn't about following the human so much. Mm-hmm. Of course, they have to like control the sled and where it goes. But I feel that there's a bit more like we are all in competition to get to push harder. Like it just feels like yeah. they're in more competition with themselves rather than having anything to do with with the person. And it is still very pack orientated rather than yeah. one dog working with one human. So I think that the fact that they were bred to do that means that they were a little bit more head like i find that they're very head shy you don't just go and touch a random husky on the face and for him to be like hey what are you doing bah. and they kind of yeah. spaz out a little bit some would obviously be aggressive and others would be like very mouthy and they can be very mouthy dogs as well so um their general temperament you've, you've kind of gone through through um through that and, and i've gone but is there anything else you could add for somebody who's thinking hey i want to get a husky what what who uh, shouldn't advice get one? yeah who should and who shouldn't <laughs> get one and things like that <laughs> Yeah, um, don't get them because they're cute. Um, I think that's something I see that people will get them because they're cute and they have a kind of feeling that they're just going to chill out like a golden retriever and they're going to be pretty aloof dogs and very few of them are. You know, my dogs have a lot of mental stimulation. They have a lot of biological fulfillment. Um, and I don't run into issues because I fulfill their needs and the rules of the game are extremely clear and I know the training's in place that I don't have problems that I have to then go back and keep trying to patch over. The I think for a trainer, like doing so much work around dogs at aggressive reactivity, whatever terms you want to throw to it, they're kind of the best dogs to be using because of the fact that they're very... They can rebound off things. They can work around a dog that's going to blow up and they don't really hold a grudge too much. Some dogs on the backside of that will struggle because they're extremely proud, confident dogs and they're a little bit hard to read in that sense. Mm. But dogs in terms of a play style, Huskies are really good at flirting and toying with dogs to help bring them out. In saying that, the Husky you see running around the park is generally very obsessive and no control over the dog whatsoever and then that dog's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, social dogs should be neutral dogs. They shouldn't be obsessive. They shouldn't be yep. reactive. They should be able to, you know, coexist without having to say hi to everything and react to everything. They should be able to chill, you know. Yep. And um, I think if you you do real, really good foundation work with them, you can do absolutely anything you want to do with them. They will. You will get ones that are extremely headstrong, and you know they are dogs that 
if you don't figure out what makes them tick, and I think this goes for any breed, if you don't figure out what makes them tick and how to use that in your favour, it can create problems where you're then forever trying to go back and fix things. Yeah. And they are dogs that super enjoy having liberty. And if you can kind of pre-mac that where you make them earn the liberty and they know the rules of the game, it's pretty easy. Yeah, I agree. I um, think you said it like you said it well before. If you once you develop the rapport with the husky, then then you've got it down pat. Where if you know so many other you know types of dogs that you pull out some food, you give them a little bit of a pat, and it's like and as a general, we'll talk like as a breed, like um, mm-hmm. huskies are a little bit more like, well, show me what it's in it for me. Let's like make sure that we're cool, and then and look, obviously, that's there's so many exceptions to the rule. That's why. I hesitated to like talk too much about breeds because mm. you have three of the same, um, um, like, you know, three um, siblings from the same litter and they're going to be different, but there are generalizations, right? But, um, mm. but yeah, you, you, and putting a slip lead on, on a husky straight up is not as easy as, as putting a slip lead on, on, you know, was that like a Kelpie straight up, you know? So, um, because they are so, so a lot more sensitive, but, um, but what then, I see- as you said, it comes back to it. You you get a lot of kelpies that are extremely sensitive to pressure and don't know how to deal with them. It's true. Part true. of training, they've got to get used to this and pressures in the world, whether we like it or not, they're there. For sure. Um, and if, if you compare, you know, uh, if you ever watch like stories of me out hiking with my dogs, my dogs are always checking back in. What am I doing? You know, it doesn't matter where we go. They're always into what I'm doing. If you do that with like my sister, for example, has one, um, the dog's name's Houdini <laughs> and- that dog, the second you let off lead anywhere, it goes and scans perimeters for ways to get out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not a dog that I would say should ever be doing what I do with my dogs. And yep. I, I see that stuff with puppies too. You put them in an area when you go on a selector dog. If I let dogs out in the yard and the first thing that dog's doing is scanning the yard for a way to get out or, you know, is basically distancing themselves from you, that, that's a bit of a red flag for me selecting a puppy straight off the bat. Totally. But even saying that, then like, you know, you can apply the fact that, well, if you had that husky your sister's husky from from when she got the puppy or from the dog yeah she got as a rescue yeah so like even even then living with you for let's say six months of doing the things you do you know there's some adaptability and stuff but of course the desire to run especially when you're out seeing lots of wildlife can, can be tough but when you see the husky in the domestic house not being fulfilled whatsoever what are the things that you you would typically see um that they would differ from other dogs? Uh, I think they've definitely got a bit of a wild child in them. Um, what I was talking about before with that sass, like they can be a real problem. They're, they're dogs that need rules and boundaries and to understand how the world works. It's the same way for us. Yeah, we have speed limits. You know, there's things you can and cannot do. Their breeds are dogs that really need to have those locked in. A, if you kind of let them know there's a chance they can sometimes do it, they will turn into the kids stealing the cookie out of the cookie jar seven days a week. And a lot of people think that, you know, raising your voice and yelling at them is a really big punishment. They just think that's part of the party at that point in time. You get really frustrated. And I they think just it's hilarious. They're on the backside of it. They actually laugh at you. Um, <laughs> do, do you make your huskies pull some sort of weight as, as part of their biological fulfillment or not really? Uh, so uh, my ex used to do a bit of candy cross with Coda. Um, everything I kind of do is the opposite of what they're bred to do. I just like their personalities. Um, I did do some dry land sledding for a little while, um, but it wasn't really my dog's jam. They didn't enjoy it like the other dogs did. But in saying that, the people that have those as pets and they love going dry land sledding, you'll never see happier dogs in the world running and pulling. Mm-hmm. No, so they, they do enjoy doing that stuff. It's just super hard in Victoria. 
Yeah. Um, you know, if we don't really have a whole heap of snow and the, the dryland tracks, you know, it, it makes it really hard for me to ever try and get to like a race meet because I'm working on weekends. So, yeah, um, but you. those dogs absolutely love it. Do huskies make good pets? Uh, for an experienced dog owner that's got a bit of personality and happy to laugh at things, absolutely, they can yeah. be. Uh, I wouldn't get one as a first dog, and I would not get in, get one if you didn't have the time to do just general day to life things with it. Yep, agreed. Good answers. Um, I wrote he size. You know, well, how do we say? You know, up to your, your waist and kind yep. of you know a medium. They vary a size. lot. Um, they do actually. Yeah, have, yeah, they've been extremely different builds and sizes. Uh, Shadow would have been twenty. 223 kilos whole life. He's a very slim line dog. He's an extremely fast dog. He never held weight. Mm, it's not that he'd big. Regulate eh? the amount. Yeah, he'd he'd regulate how much he'd eat off how much he did in a day. Um, my the dog tips at my logo is based on shields 34 kilos and built like a Mack truck. Yeah. So it's true, it's, they, they they vary a ton. I think Storm was about 28, Code is about 26. Uh, I think Phantom was about 27. I was a kid when we had him. Um, so they, they can fluctuate a fair bit. And then I, I've seen ones that come in that are purebred and are like 15 kilos. Yeah, true. Like that's, yeah, that's, that's not normal. <laughs> yeah. That is actually interesting. I never thought of it. Um, uh, Husky is generally good with dogs. Uh, yeah, most of the time they are if they're not too obsessive and playing like the drunk guy at the party. Um, <laughs> I super enjoy watching them run and play in social classes and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they're fun. They're a bit kind of like the class clown or? Is that fair? Oh, yeah. That's why yeah. they suit me really well. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> true. Um, are Huskies generally good with new people? Uh, they can be, but once again, you kind of have to manage it when they're young so it doesn't become a problem that people coming in the house become like the trampoline to the dog that they they walk in and the dog just runs up and jumps on them. But I think that also kind of goes for any breed. True. So. How about their prey drive? Uh, hi. Yeah. They want <laughs> yeah, to check, so like- I had... Some management stuff. Uh, I used to have goats, chickens, turkey, sheep, you know, those sort of things there. Like it is a manageable thing. Um, and working through it. And some dogs I just never trust off lead around livestock. And then there's other ones, you know, it's part of the day to day life for us. So it, it kind of loses the novelty because of the lifestyle we live. Yeah. That they're there. Um, but you, you have to manage that with any dog. They just tend to have a higher breed. Uh, like the breed tends to be higher in prey drive and, you know, you have to manage them a lot more around like the pocket pets and stuff like that. Uh, they can be a bit of a, a liability if you're going to let them loose around it and not manage it. True. And do they take a long time to mature? And I'm talking not like physically mature, but like mentally mature. Mentally. Yeah, yeah. they can. Uh, I think Shadow matured at about 11. That was good <laughs> when he did that. <laughs> you said it was almost 16 years ago. So what age did he get to? Uh, he was 15 and a half. So I yeah, lost wow. him last year. So yeah. Good innings, mate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I've lost a couple mid age and he was 15. Uh, my first one passed on his 15th birthday. So, you know, yeah, it's wow. a, a bit of a roll of dice. But yeah, he, he had a, a very good, fulfilling life. So that's always good to hear, man. And look, it's always sad to lose him. But when they live a full life, very happy, very like you know, and, 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 and it's it, it's an honor, you know, for real. How old is Spades now, Panos? He'll be thirteen, like in October sometime. Yeah, yeah. his actual birthday. Um, That's an, an elder, elder that statesman. Goes. That was crazy, man. It's crazy, and you can see he's really slowed down, especially the last couple of months. Like mm-hmm. super slowed down, and gets tired easier, and 
you know, he'll, he'll slip and like do the split sometimes if he doesn't like get himself up. Um, he, he, he has a good days and bad days, I guess. In winter, is probably a little bit worse. Um, it looks like he's better now, but it's sad, man, to see him, you know, get old. And, and he's, the, he's the oldest dog I've had because, you know, he was my third dog. Um, Rocky passed away like a year and a half and, and Ace died at nine. So to see him grow old get, makes you in and trips you out as well. Like, what do you mean 13 years? Where has that gone? crazy i can see where it's gone it's crazy you also with older dogs like i noticed a shadow if i ever you know sort of gave him a few days where we didn't go walking or hiking or do something physical he could start to rust yes and Very true he would i there was one time i was gone in the states for a few weeks i came home and i noticed just the amount of muscle deprivation he lost in his back end and it's really hard to get that back on so you know you've got to keep them active yeah, there's some days they have to have quieter days. There's other days they just need to be far more active than others. Yeah, and weather will play a fact in it. But if if you let them rest, they rust. Unfortunately, it's true, and I think that's why Spades has um you know powered on because he I like I I worked him. He uh, like not hard hard, but he was active all day every day, getting mm. out, coming to sessions, and because I could only rely on him, he was he kept on going. And I think that's another good thing as well for. For older people and for older dogs is, yeah, great advice. Keep them active, not over the top and injure them. But if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Um, All right, cool. Now, I think we're going to – we'll stop there for the Huskies. Um, For the Husky listeners out there, if you want to add any more, let us know. But that was a good rundown. I think um, I agree. If you are thinking about getting a Husky, if you're an inexperienced owner or first-time dog owner, like do not get a Husky. It's the biggest mistake that I generally see. It just It's so much stress for the people. They have no idea what they're getting themselves into just because they're so high energy. They've got a mind of their own. They've got an agenda. And if you don't keep them mentally and physically active, like they will let you know. Um, and again, again, obviously this goes with all dogs, but yeah, typically that's like a Husky situation. All right. Now- the SARP. I'm going to say SARP. You're going to tell me, say it three <laughs> times in a, in a row so I can understand the, how to say the word. Shaplanamat, Shaplanamat, Shaplanamat. Shaplanamat. Uh, what now? <laughs> it looks like Dan. I, mm. I, I, I did Google it before and I heard the, the, the um, AI thing say it to me. <laughs> um, so that's a, he, they are a Serbian mountain dog. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so they, they basically there's little spins that come through all out Europe throughout the hills. Um, some people refer to them as like a Macedonian shepherd. Uh, and throughout Europe, they've got lif- lots of different livestock guardian dog breeds and they will guard on different territories depending on what the land's like and stuff like that and also what they're guarding. Um, so all livestock guardian dogs are generally bred to guard in the terrain they're bred for and guard in different ways. Okay, let's, let's in- break that down. So terrain you mean like a farm or a mountainside yep okay so if you ever see videos for example of tangles they will yep. be generally roaming as they'll have five six dogs out they will have them on big flat open land and it might be rolling through some hills but it's not really crazy terrain and you'll have where you'll have four dogs say roaming on the outside creating a perimeter and then you'll have one resting with the pack and they'll just rotate through which one one rests while the other's guard. I can think of three times in six years I've te- seen Titan sleep. He doesn't sleep. It, it's wow. just, it's really weird. It's different. And you'll think he's asleep. He makes this weird, like, snoring noise, and his eyes will track you across the room while he does it. Wow. Um, their breed is bred. They generally put one dog out in the hills of Europe with 500 sheep, goats, whatever. 
that have big spiky collar on it and will guard them for wolves and bears and all sorts of stuff. But they tend to stay close to what they're guarding. They don't want to run off. So when you say guard, like define that for someone who has no idea. Uh, so they're bred to guard livestock. So basically they will stay with the stock and defend it from whatever's coming in as a predator. And defend they're it like barking. they'll bark at them, yeah. Yeah, they'll bark to create, try and create distance from things and make them bubble around things and let know like there is a threat here. But on the other side of it too, they can be highly dangerous. I do not get one as a pet. Perfect. I, I, I agree uh, too. The, they're a lot of dog. <laughs> they can be a very serious dog. Yeah. And they're dogs that if you don't know how to read dogs and handle dogs, you can get really hurt by like trying to like, if you physically grab one, like, they generally if you have a well-bred one, they're not scared of you. Yeah, it can be very. It, it trips me out when I see. Again, it's very rare, but I've I've, I've seen a few sessions with seeing the livestock guardian again, like all the different type of mountain um, mountain dogs. Um, <laughs> they have difficult situations to be in, and, and most of the time, I'm like, man, I don't even know what you're doing with with with, um, with this dog. Um, all right, so at at your place, at your home, he's um, – what's the terrain like at your place? Is it mountainous? Uh, so my place backs onto a mountain. My property is generally pretty flat, mm-hmm. uh, and he can be out roaming the property. So he kind of gets to call what he wants to do most of the time. If he wants to be out roaming the property, he can. Yeah. Um, I walked out uh, – probably about a month ago, I walked outside. And it was 2 a.m. in the morning, and he's swimming around my dam because apparently that's swimming time. <laughs> um, <laughs> just doing his own thing. Uh, he's – in the house sleeping by the front door at the moment um it's you know he he's he can kind of roll with whatever we're doing at the time and it, it's interesting also when you watch livestock guardian dogs ones that are, are really clear about what they do um i've been borrowing a friend's car recently because mine's been at the panel beaters and it took probably three weeks to tighten to start guarding that car it, it, early on, I can put him in your car. He's like, take it. He doesn't care. And then when he starts to realize this is a part of what we've got to look after, he just takes it under his wing. So what would it do? So and, if I came to your car to open up to grab something from the front seat, I come to open yeah. the door, what happens? So you, uh, you'll get a rumble of death through the car, and then he will be making his presence known, and then if you want to keep going in, he'll probably go to you. Yeah. And um, yeah, go. Do you have sheep? I used to. Uh, at the moment, it's just two highland cows, um, trying to keep it simple because livestock is a full-time job, <laughs> I <Yeah>. found out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it, when I got him as a puppy, I had chickens, sheep, goats, alpacas, uh, quail, guinea fowl. You kind of named the animal. It was literally a zoo here. Um, and since then, I've kind of gone back and downscaled because it was just such a full-time job trying to, to maintain that and run a business and everything else. Yeah, um, I was thinking when you said cows, I'm like, what, what does this guy do? Like, that's a lot of work, uh, I'm assuming. Yeah. He's raising no, his cows own, are pretty easy. raising Wagyu. Yeah. <laughs> Massaging uh, him and stuff. <laughs> Not quite. But the, um, yeah, the, he was very much a dog that was bred to be a guard of the property and look after the stock, and we had real issues with foxes at the time. Um, and when he had his elbow dysplasia when he was, oh, I think, about eight months old or something like that, he had a lot of crate rest time in the house. And he's kind of like, he's like, I like living here more than having to guard you guys. So he'd still guard them, but he didn't care about them the same way he'd kind of bonded with me in that time. Um, so that brought on getting Echo, who was a, a Sark Tangle mix. 
And but even watching the the mixing of the breed, she was very conflicted on how you guard things. So she would like stand near the chickens and bark. She could smell a fox around, and then she'd go run a lap of the property, and then she'd go back and stand close. So she's trying mm. to do one side of it guarding close, and the other guarding wide. Can you teach like can you teach a livestock guardian breed to do things, or is it just very genetic based? Uh, you can absolutely teach them to do things. The no, I mean, to like in specifically about guarding, or is it just like you're relying on their instincts? I think a lot of it is you really want to have, like, I, I've helped a few people now develop them. You really want to have them around the stock when they're young a lot, and you need to manage a lot of it, or otherwise, you know, killing chickens could become fun for that dog if it's getting bored on its own. The wildest thing I think about them is I've never taught my dogs a, a boundary in my property. They've kind of somehow just learnt this is the boundary. Do you have a fence line? There is a fence line, but I have multiple fences through my property and they've never they never go to the neighbours. They never try and, mm. you know, get outside of that little bubble. And Do you think that's because they, they know where you go and where you don't go? Uh, well, I don't always walk around my whole property with the dog as well, but I had one here today. They came from the border near South Australia and they it was a Sarp Cross Maremma. And we'll oh. talk about it. they've just moved on to a 10-acre block. And they're like, we've never taught the dog the boundary. It just knows. It. But they, they don't even have fences in yet. Mm. They've just brought, brought this block and the dog already knows where it can and can't be. And how do they know? If they're not always with the dog, how do they know it's not wandering, though? Oh, they are with their dog. Um, yeah. but like with Because they're, they're there and they're still setting up and getting ready to build. And all I guess that they haven't run to the neighbor's property. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they tend to know their little bubble, and I find that mind-blowing that they just know where they are and aren't meant to be, whether it's fenced or not fenced. Hmm. Traditionally, are the, the dogs guarding the um, guarding people from grabbing the sheep too? Is it like only the shepherds allowed to come, or is it just like uh, other absolutely, animals? Absolutely, it would be in the hills of Europe and stuff like that. They would know yeah. that that's the, the person come up and handle them. And then they have a lot of them too that will sort of like live around villages and stuff like that, and then they'll stop predators coming down towards the villages and all that sort of stuff. So Okay, so it's not like it has to be livestock. They'll do the same job for their people too. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, how big do they get? Uh, so Titans are very sort of like lean, 55 kilos, even though it looks like a big fluffy bear. That He's a pretty lean, active dog underneath that. He's the fastest dog I own, even though he's had all the health issues. Uh, when he gets up and starts moving, he is like crazily fast. Uh, he's got a brother, I think it's like 87 kilos, but I don't wow. think that, I've never met that dog. I've just heard about it. Wow. I don't think that dog would be able to, you know, do a proper walk around the block kind of deal. I think mm. he'd probably be a bit overweight, but yeah, okay. that's kind of a, a nice size for him. I, they can vary a bit. My mum's got one that would be an absolutely atrocious guarding dog. Um, <laughs> she's a fun pet for mum. Nala would be probably 45 kilos. She's a lot smaller than Titan. Yeah, she's a sweet still dog. A big she does dog. Like Forty-five yeah. kilos. Jeez. Yeah. 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 Um, I always get a reality check if I ever take like a selfie or Titan or something. I'm like, I've got a fat head and my head looks small next to his. <laughs> <laughs> That's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I was um yeah. in last episode when um I was talking to um Michelle, I was I gave a um a a story that I heard two weeks ago. So these people had um two Asian mountain dogs. Asian mountain dogs? I don't I don't know. Um Caucasians? I, I said it was a Caucasian. Caucasian so like, no. Shepherd? 
I, I thought I, I said, oh, the Caucasian Shepherd. She goes, no, and they said another name. And I looked it up and it was legit, but I just can't keep track yeah. because like I never seen There's it. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't a kangaroo. No, kangaroo is like turkey, right? Yep. Kangles. Um, anyway, like some Asian mountain livestock guardian dogs, and they had two of them, and one was like five, other one was four. And the story went that um 16-year-old son, his friend went to run in to grab like a leaf blower, walks out with the leaf blower, male comes and like attacks him and a grum- growled at him, attacked him, and then the female came in and they were just just ripping him apart. It was a mob. Yeah. And then yeah, and then owner had to come out, jump like on his neck, because they were going to like tear his throat out and shit. Yeah. Um, and 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 I feel so bad for like everyone in that situation is horrible, even for the owners, obviously for the kid. Mm-hmm. He survived and that, but um it's like what what did like like what did you expect? Like I'm confused. Yeah. Like if you in and, and and I'm and I'm putting this out there. So if, if I've pointed you in this direction to listen to this episode, or if you listen to this episode thinking you I really want to get a livestock guardian breed, it's like think like 50 times and do oh yeah an intense amount of research before you even think about even considering it unless you have like a specific job and role can, can you tell us where would it be appropriate for somebody to get a dog of this caliber yeah the um you you really need to have land the dog needs to have you know a uh, room to go and be a dog it needs to be taught what to do as well the you know if you have a, a dog that you want to you've got sheep you've got goats you've got chickens you need something livestock mainly guarded from foxes like we don't have all these other crazy predators like you know overseas so has. good eh? <laughs> um, as much as i like to say that we have all these dangerous animals we don't have bears and mountain lions and stuff so i'm confused when people say that problems. about australians they're like oh yeah all the dangerous animals i'm like yeah well like just don't get bitten by a spider and a snake and you're pretty chill like oh, yeah, don't go guys. swimming up north in the ocean with crocodiles and sharks and yeah right. but but like imagine going camping going i oh, just just put your meat in the tree because you know the bears. <laughs> We're talking about bears. <laughs> yeah, oh, the, um, so. you really want a, a dog that's going to be able to guard and, and have the stock and stuff like that. And I think a lot of it also, if you have an older dog that can, I don't. I'm not a big believer, and I don't think mimicry is a really good way to teach things. But I feel like the livestock guardian dogs having an older dog there that can kind of steer the ship and show them how it's done makes a big difference. I'd watch Echo's yeah. confidence change. When Titan was there, uh, I had a, a lady I went to go see a little while ago. She had two Kangles. This is go back kind of what you were saying before about what happened to that poor kid. And she said to me when I got to her property, she was like, I'll just drive up to the house. She was like, open the gate, come up. And I'm like, if you have real Kangles, I'm not getting out of my car. Like those dogs are on leads and they're tied to a tree or something. I'm not getting out. I got there and they're both very sweet and they were kind of sensitive dogs. And they did their job, but they were really social towards people. Okay. The the SARPs can be completely back the opposite way on it too. And they can – I find a lot of livestock guardian dogs are highly suspicious dogs that if they see small little changes in the environment, it brings alarm bells for them. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll catch on to things and their sense of smell and their awareness to their surroundings is, is a second to none. So they're not a pet. Don't go get one. If you live in an apartment, it will be absolute hell for you. An apartment? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm thinking I've like a, a house with a regular backyard. I'm like, don't even – that's not yeah. enough space. We're, thinking, we're talking acres, right? Yeah. And yeah. like my mum lives on a quarter acre block and her dog's happy doing what it does and it, mm-hmm. it works well for mum. But as I said, she's not a good guard. Yeah. And – that we have like between her and Titan, we have one extreme to the other of what that breed's meant to be like. You know, so we yeah. we we touched on before. You can have the whole 
litter of dogs, not every dog's going to cut up to do a certain job or role. True. Um, are they good with other dogs? Uh, generally not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so the – Titan can be social around the dogs I like working around. I work around dangerous dogs all the time, and I most of the time I put him in obedience to do so. Um, and they're dogs that because they're so big, you just can't risk – like you'd never yeah. let them sort it out kind of deal. No, no, um, not for sure. I've had quite a few I've run through social classes and they're fine in those sort of situations. Would I take them into the park where they're going to have a dog come up and try and, you know, have the, the posture and the dick swing competition with them? Absolutely no. Like that no way. No. Chaos. I'm, I'm just thinking. You're not going to stop them. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's complicated and you may not know the answer, but I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm some European shepherd man trying to get my sheep in, like, I don't know, like, let's just assume they have a herding dog. Is that a thing? Can, can you have a herding dog, herd the sheep in with the, 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 the livestock guardian dog hanging out going, yeah, that's my bro. He, like, tells the sheep what yeah. to do and I'm the bodyguard. Yeah, I think they need to sort of roll as a uh, – they need to know each other well and have that rapport. Um, yeah. One of my friends, she has a Kangle that's oh, probably getting close to a year of age now. She's got a Kelpie. Uh, she uses that dog to help herd up stock. The Kangle's there to guard the stock, and then she has a little padded Alteria to go after killing things. <laughs> so well, she she's trying to take every team. box. Wow, yeah. that's cool. And they all get along fine, and they're all their own little thing, but they spend so much time away from each other, you know, running around doing different things. Yeah, exactly. But they're also able to work together as a team if they need to. That's pretty cool, man. It's fascinating. Yeah. That's a really cool team. I love that. Yeah, it's a yeah. weird mix. Has your dog killed foxes? Uh, well, the presence of him is generally enough to get rid of him. And honestly, if I have a fox around the property, I tend to get him away as quick as I can. I send out the other two dogs. Yeah, okay. They're far more quiet and methodical about their methods about how we're going to get rid of foxes. Okay. And what would they do? Just chase them away? Uh, no. The, the foxes tend not to make that away. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so you mean- Second okay. chance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm down with that. Very um, different predatory behaviour compared to that reactivity and barking and trying to create distance there. Yeah, They're okay, very understand. methodical in how they work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, let's make the kill. We're not trying to scare them away. Yeah. Let's let's yeah. do this. All right, cool. I kind of explain that working with reactivity. You know, if you watch David Atterborough and the line never tells the zebra it's coming. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Progression is generally a very quiet, methodical process. Those dogs want to stalk and Until the last do second. serious damage. Yeah, they're, pre- they're, they're predators, yeah. Um so. Which then means the the livestock guardians aren't wanting to make the kill. They just want to go, just leave me alone. Yeah, they will. There's so many videos out there of them, you know, killing coyotes and bears and stuff like, like that. Like hunting, hunting them or, or defend or, or in defense? Defense. They're, they're trying to guard what they're there to guard. Yeah. They're not yeah. running down the street to go after something. They're going to stay close to what they're meant to be doing. Um, so will they so- hunt then if in, a, in like more of a – traditional setting they're out in the mountains god knows where the where the house is where he lives mm. is he is he hunting as well the the general like we have hunting breeds we have herding breeds sure you know so they're, they're, we they're have doing... guardians yeah okay. they guard i i wouldn't i'm sure there's people out there that hunt with them i wouldn't be no no for sure yeah so, cool yeah. interesting um and, and i'm just like curious that you know what's this prey drive like if they saw like oh there's a deer there is that like a or like i don't know maybe one dog and a deer is a bit big but if you saw like a a, a prey animal would that be enticing enough to leave the stock and from defending them for him to you know engage in that 
Uh, not for a general prey animal. They're, sure. they're bred to have very low prey drive. So, like, when Titan was a pup, I had to do a hell of a lot of work to build any form of toy drive to get a okay. reinforcer out of it. Makes sense. And even even now, he's like, yeah, I'll play with it, but it's not like the build and end all. And I've yeah. never seen one that had a good, what I would call, like, prey drive to play with things. The genetically bred have none of it. Yeah, okay, cool. That's, um, that's cool. The the only time I've ever sort of seen anything like that out of Titan would be there's where I run my dogs. There's one really big grey roof, probably about seven foot, and it likes to stand up and flex, and Titan likes to walk along with the chef puffed out. But it's they're having their own little, like, dick swinging competition. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. that I worry about with it. You know, if I'm like, yeah, hey, let's go, we've got to start moving or whatever, then, you know, he's off with me. And yeah, yeah. But it, it's never something like he starts stalking and barrels after them to chase him. He doesn't really care about it. It's a, kind of the opposite to the husky in that sense. I would love a time machine, mainly to go back to be like, all right, what made what what were the dogs doing when they were doing their real job away from this crazy civilization we live in now? And, oh, yeah. And what they looked like and then what they were. Like we all know, like, yeah, like the wolf. Um, but like I want to know what, what happened. How they all change to become so big and to be so specific and to yeah. have and to all look the same. I just think it's just mind-boggling to mm. to know that dogs can and we had breeds and we even like managed to keep breeds intact while we could have butchered that at any time and just mixed them all up. We've done more mixing now than we ever did before by the looks of mm. it. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think it's crazy. Um and how many cool breeds have we lost along the way, you know? So I'd, I'd love to go see like, – I'm a real nerd when it comes to just watching animals and behaviour. I'd love to go see some of these livestock guardian dogs in Europe just doing their thing so and cool. just watching the dynamics and how they do things and the, the differences in how they guard. And you got you a know, desperate bear. He's like, I'm starving, and one of their sheep would be hectic. And he's like, yeah. let's do it. And then the dog's like, you're not getting past this line, dude. And it's like, yeah. oh, I want to see. Yeah, all right, I'm YouTubing tonight as soon as I get off this. <laughs> um, to see if we got any. Yeah, how did they get footage of that? You have to have a drone and yeah. this, that, and even the dog will act different if there's a drone buzzing around. Um, what are they like with people generally? People like, uh, I mean, they can be super dangerous around people too. Yeah. So what's yeah, what? So like, what do you mean by that specifically? Uh, I see a lot that will come to me as pet dogs that basically will not allow anyone into the house. It's not that household. Super social people in the household. I don't know who you are. You're not welcome. Um, how much of it's genuine, real, dangerous aggression? You know, you, you, it's a lot of them will mouth at people or nip at them, but they're not really there to do malicious intent, but they are those dogs out there as well. Um, they're not a dog that I would be getting just to be a pet or to hang out or if I think they'd be a cool guard dog for my property. I, they're, they're too much dog for that in many ways. Um and if you get one that has thin nerve sort of running through the lines of it and stuff like that, they're dogs that can then become a bit of a liability if you want to just have it as a pet. Yeah. You know, they can get spooked quite easily and they're very sensitive. And kind of what you're saying before about, you know, the hand shy stuff, I think they're probably the cutest breed of puppies. Like they just look like little bears. Yeah. But if people want to go over and get in their face and, if people want to start, you know, like grabbing at their face and talking to them like right. weirdly and stuff, they get really suspicious real quick and you're going to have a hell of a lot of problems real fast. With that um, sup that I saw last year or whenever, um, mm -hmm. 
like and I, I know I acknowledge that too. I'm like I'm I'm hanging out with her. We're you know doing all the basic you know obedience stuff. Teaching a recall is like I really want a solid recall, solid downstay. I'm like yeah, I agree. But you're like you're not letting the dog off the lead, just like roaming around the streets. Like we live in too yeah. much of a dense environment. He's like yeah, I understand. I came over one day and the dog's barking at me and he's like hey, stop, quiet. I'm like what do you want? What are you what are you saying? To, to this dog, like, yes, of course, it'll be nice if the dog stopped barking, but it's like, what, like, what, your yard is so small. It's like, yeah. I just don't, uh, it, it was frustrating. Look, super cool guy, cool clients. They're awesome. Yeah. Um, very friendly. I would always see him at the coffee shop every time I go there. And she was cool. She was not causing any dramas. We did a bunch of socialization, um, loading up. And look, and maybe like she, she definitely looks exactly like a SARP, but maybe they're, she was the right one out of the litter to be specific for that situation. I don't know about oh, yeah. the rest of the litter, right? So um, so I guess it could work. And I guess some people are going, hey, I've got one and she's awesome. I'm like, yeah, well, there's obviously exceptions when you talk about They're birds. all different. Yeah, I'm always going to keep saying that because sometimes we can generalize, oh, Greeks are always like this. And, <laughs> and you know, Oz is always like, like, it makes no sense to to um yeah. to, to generalize like that. So, um, and also maturity, how long did it take? Like, is it, do they mature quicker quicker than than average? Or, um, I feel like the as I said before, I'm a real nerd when it comes to watching dogs and behavior, and I I watch Titans maturity. Shadow, my old boy, we we refer to him as the king. You know, he was the, that was sort of his nickname, and I'd only ever seen one dog that I'd ever say like really had it over him. Um, and that was tips. And I watched when he was, he was probably about 11 or 12, and Titan would have been oh, probably like five months old. I should have just butchered my mass. But Titan was about five, six months old, and Shadow had hurt his neck, and he was off. And I noticed real weirdly that he would, Shadow would not settle unless he was with me or if he was with Titan. And I said to my partner at the time, like, we have to pay attention to this. Like, this is something we really need to watch. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I think we've got a passing of the guard. And I think it's kind of happening in a way that we don't know in terms of like our pack structure. So what like, do you mean what passing of the guard? The shadow was the lead dog of our pack. He kind of, you know, he was the, the dog that was, uh, he was my best dog to work with in social classes and, you know, just a, a very confident dog. And he wouldn't set unless he was us or with us or with Titan. And I was like, that is such a weird thing to watch. And I'm like, I think we need to pay attention that Titan's actually becoming the lead dog of our pack. Mm. At five months, we need to pay attention. So I think he matured wow. extremely young in that sense. Interesting. And I, you watch the dynamic of the dogs, and those dogs never had a fight or anything like that. You had to micromanage the smallest things, but. And they'll never best friends of dogs, but they never had issues. But I was like, you need to, we need to watch that in that sense that like he, Jared recognizes we're the two that control what happens. And at five months, that's just mind blowing to even think of and watch. But he's a very yeah. headstrong, confident dog. And it's like, he feels safe with him. Like we have to pay attention to that stuff. You know, there's two other huskies in the house at this point in time. He doesn't care about them. That's the dog going to be with. Yeah. So it's interesting when you watch pack structures. And how they kind of work and they're going to, you know, evolve over time. Shadow was quite happy to, like, give him the responsibility of doing that and they got along fine to things. Um, so, yeah, the, I think he matured extremely young, but I've seen a lot that are kind of, like, a bit dinky. And then they'll get to about two and then they become, like, a really serious dog. 
so yeah, it can vary a little bit with that stuff. Yeah, it always varies. I know it's a, it's a it's the last question on my little list here that I'm going to kind of refine and and use over time. But you know, I think it all goes to each individual dog and what you classify as being mature, and you know, and but I guess it's it's nice to kind of um to acknowledge that and for people that are listening that dogs need time to mature just because they're eight months old and they look like they're full size, they're still one years old. And sometimes I forget, you know, you're working with a dog and it's like, hey, no, come on, working the down. And then it's like, oh, how old is he again? I'm fully assuming that that he's like 11 months old. It's like, oh, he's like seven months. And I'm like, oh, damn, this is a big dog. And I just forgot that I'm like maybe expecting a little bit too much from you right now. So it's nice to understand that, yes, dogs mature and, and certain breeds do mature. Um um, differently um you know between yeah. like some dogs are mature are like two years old they're a lot like they're very stable some a little bit earlier but most dogs start to mature and around about that three years old you can kind of see that they're like uh, i'm not so impulsive i'm a little bit more like i've got like i know what we're doing um but anyway that's just that's a general rule. I, I think echo was probably about three three and a half when she started to mature up and really understand what her role was yeah so and and i think that's something that um just that goes to not- show you, like, there's no rush, is there? Three, you know, you people are like, oh, I want my puppy to do this, I want to do that. Yeah. And then it might be three years before, like you said, it's even in a position to be, like, mature, right? Yeah. Which well, is like a relatively, a- it's a relatively long period of time. Yeah, that is, that's true. And we look it goes at- quite in- quick, though. Yeah. yeah. It does go Let's, quick. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? For sure. And it's also like with people too, like what is it like, you know, some people mature a little bit earlier than than others and they could have been in this, you know, in the same household, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it is like a, a genetic thing rather than it is a um an environmental thing so much. Um, yeah. Well, bro, that was awesome. I've learned a lot today. I Before I let you go. I still can't pronounce it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not even, even going to try. G- give it to us Say one it again. Th- yeah. Shaplan, that's. A lot Sh- of people call them Saplananax. 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 Yeah. There we go. Saplananax. Right, cool. all, all our messages. But that doesn't, work, that doesn't match with the writing. That writing. Yeah. There's, yeah. That, there's no. That, that's ridiculous. Anyway. Yeah. It's um, a. There's a, a few people that I uh, beat around earlier with it. And every time they'd pull me up on it, I'm like, I'll just accept your pronunciation of it from this point on. Perfect. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, great grandmother I'm, had them in the village and they know better than me for that. So I'll just take their pronunciation for it. Exactly. Yeah. I'll just go with SARP. I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. You're not going to see many That'll of them do. anyway. Um, but um, you've been doing, you've been holding a lot of seminars um, and yep. getting lots of people out and you're responsible for, um, for well, like partly responsible, maybe fully responsible for getting Michael Ellis out. Um, mm-hmm. But th- thanks for being, um, for getting that happening and, and, it was a blessing for the dog training industry and it was really cool yeah. to meet him in person and and um and even though I was only there for, for part of it, um I learned heaps and also you got so many more things coming up. So give a plug yeah. to all the rest of the seminars for the rest of the year and, and uh yeah, the yeah, it was good to have Mike here. I've been working on it for about ten years and harassing him. Actually back in the States in two weeks, I think it is, just under two weeks. Yeah, uh, well. back with him there. So um we're doing some stuff over there which I'm excited for and and catching up with him again, and I think I'll be crossing paths with Cameron as well while I'm there, so that'll be fun. Um, the I don't think I'll have any more seminars this year. I'm um, oh, cool. Forrester's Forrest Mickey and Tom Davis are hiring my place to do a seminar in Melbourne in November, um, and I think that'll be the wrap for it. I have a seminar that I will be getting announced on 
Sunday, I think it is. Uh, so yep. that'll be my first seminar for next year. Cool. Um, and then I'll have some more cognition and stuff like that going on as well. So um, there's a few in the pipeline and we'll just see what's going to happen with those um, and looking at also teaming up with someone to do some four or five-day seminars as well. So um, that could be some exciting stuff to come next year. So it'll be fun. Let people know where they can um, find out when these events are coming up. Uh, everything runs through social media these days, doesn't it? So um, <laughs> we were Facebook, about Instagram, Refine Your Canine Dog Training. Um, and yeah, I'll post there on those. The, the cognition ones go pretty fast. So I might even try and announce a couple of those with a little bit of notice on people. Like I think this one went in like an hour, the last one I announced. So um, they will go pretty quick. Uh, and yeah. Sweet. Well, brother, thanks for coming on again. It's been very insightful. Always, always good to speak with you, my bro. Um, but yeah, until next time, be well, take care and... I'm looking forward to hearing more stories about your awesome dogs and the life that they live. It's pretty cool. And Thanks, unique. mate. <laughs> You're very Thanks welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Thanks Alex. Cheers. cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, .com.au. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna K9 Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.